Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is Claudia Shambaugh. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Ask a Leader, and today we have quite the timely show. We do have. We're going to talk with two different people with what's going on on very different fronts. First, we'll hear from Sarah, excuse me, we'll hear from Donna Boston, my first guest, who is the Orange County Emergency Manager. And later on the show, we'll talk to Toraj Dari, who is the um, Associate Director for the Jordan Center for Persian Studies at UCI, and we'll talk about the upcoming Persian New Year. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ask a Leader today. We are going to start with our first guest, who is really, we are so fortunate to have her on the show. She is Donna Boston, Orange County's Emergency Manager with the Sheriff's Department. She's been with the Sheriff's Office for seven years and with Emergency Management for 15 years with the municipalities throughout Orange County. She's charged with managing Orange County's Emergency Management Program, including County Preparedness, Response, and Recovery. She's kindly made herself available despite her busy schedule this morning, including appearing before the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Donna Boston. Thank you. I'm so glad that you are here without shoehorning us into your busy schedule because I think as each day unfolds around the Pacific Rim, you're becoming less, you're getting less and less sleep. I imagine you'll be reporting this morning to the Board of Supervisors about how your agency has already um, managed this, the tsunami alerts along our coastline. Yes, we are always asking um, or answering the questions of how we respond to any event that faces Orange County. And so uh, this morning, I'm sure they're going to be asking you all kinds of questions, including uh, how, you, how well uh, positioned you are to address multiple crises at the same time as we're witnessing with this catastrophe unfolding in Sendai, Japan. Right. The events in Japan are absolutely um, horrendous. And um, in California, we are certainly working to learn the lessons that they are learning now and to um, add that into our response capabilities. In California and in Orange County, we're very highly prepared for emergencies. We take them very seriously, and we have so for decades. With our culture of preparedness, we have... um, built upon our partnerships with all of our communities. And um, part of our culture of preparedness also involves our community members. And for, again, decades, we have communicated with our public that we all personally need to be prepared for any disaster. And we need to have an emergency kit, we need to have a plan, and we need to get prepared. Indeed. Um, We're uh, just talking about this over the weekend, uh, friends and I, and they they still weren't aware of that basic, you know, how much water to set aside. And we can we can break all of that down. We can get down to the personal. I thought we could start out with the general, with the, the state um, and the, the local um, uh, jurisdictions. I'm, and I, when I'm 
mentioned um, multiple crises. I think that's what's probably hammering the Japanese um, authorities right now is they had they may have been very sophisticated with uh, individual crises to address, but I think isn't this the problem that there is a multi-jurisdictional, multi-crisis catastrophe unfolding for them? Well, any time you have a catastrophic emergency, you will have multi-jurisdictional issues. And the very essence of a disaster is that there will be problems. We know that. And um, it's practicing that mechanism to be able to solve those problems, to take appropriate action to protect your public. And um, California has practiced a long um, history in incident command and bringing in multiple um, jurisdictions to fuse into one organization to make prioritized decisions to protect our public. And I I think that is... um, what Japan is probably doing. Uh, They are working to protect their public in every way possible. And they're fusing in multiple jurisdictions, just as we do here in California for any event, any major emergency. We will fuse agencies together rapidly. We will create a unified command, and we will go to work to solve the problems. And I think what it's important to note is that all of these response agencies that respond to catastrophic disasters we know we will work until the problem improves. We will not rest until the problem improves. And how then did it work, the alert system that you had um, uh, activated with notifying? uh, I know there were um, some people reporting on the personal level. They were notified in Laguna Beach. They were notified in Newport Beach. How did that perform, and when was the last time you had to do that kind of a tsunami alert? Well, we have a very highly developed tsunami plan in Orange County, and the reason it's highly developed is we've had some practice with it. So um, this time around on um, Thursday night when we got the notification that there was a potential tsunami advisory for the Orange County coastline, we essentially put our plan into play. Um, we did. We followed the plan exactly as we had agreed upon it. And and what is important to note is that pre-event we bring these jurisdictions together. So all of the coastal jurisdictions, all of the cities in Orange County, we come together with the county and the special districts and school districts that are involved, and we mutually create a plan that we will all then stick to during the event. Um, so we did um, get to, we had a lesson learned in uh, 2010 with a tsunami advisory that affected the Orange County coast, if you recall that. Yes, of course. February 2010. So we um, actively debriefed from that event, and we um, edited our plan, and we improved it. And so this time when we did it, it was very, very um, efficient. We established communications with all of the coastal jurisdictions immediately, and we maintained that communication and practiced unified decision-making on exactly what we were going to do to protect our community members and um, what beaches would be closed, et cetera, to ensure that we were moving together in the right direction. And so we can get from that uh, jurisdictional level 10 to the personal level, you have um, a multiple uh, a list of websites and public information hotlines. I dialed the hotline this morning, by the way, to see what would happen. And they, since there was an emergency, there, there was no hotline that uh, that was 
taking up any business with me. So um, we can give the hotline number, folks, but uh, it's not. It's only happening when there is an emergency underway. Otherwise, it's a you you go back to the pedestrian uh, civilian regular everyday number. But we have there's the readyoc.org. That's for the preparing part. Did you? Um, it gives us a whole emergency home emergency kit. Um, we, do you want to go over that, or we want to just refer people to the website and make sure they take the make their copy of, and post it everywhere? Well, the readyoc.org website is geared to be your comprehensive disaster website that you can go and look at for anything you need to know about emergency preparedness. So it has information on your emergency preparedness kit, on a kit that you could put into your car, and a kit you can keep at your office. Excellent. And what um, is there a particular one that you notice people just don't uh, don't get when you bring this up in casual conversation at lounges and uh, <laughs> cocktail parties? Well, what I am increasingly aware of is that our Orange County community is extremely um, educated. They are very aware of the hazards that exist in Orange County. We just need to get them to take action to be prepared. Um, Because when we do have, you know, a 7.0 earthquake that possibly could be centered in Orange County, it's too late to get prepared then. You need to do it ahead of time. And so um, we, we really need people to take action. Our community is very well aware of all of the things that we face regularly, fires, floods, earthquakes, all of those pieces they're aware of. Let's take some action and get everybody prepared. And so that includes folks, we're talking of that classic, you've got to have a water of gallon per person per day for at least three days. That's for drinking and sanitation. Are people still filling up their bathtubs? Um, really, we we try to get everybody to, to store that water on a rotational basis right. so that you're you're keeping one gallon per person per day at least three days. And check that because I noticed mine uh, my what I thought were you know reasonably tight uh, containers that they they tend to get um, some perforations or some kind of leakage. So you don't want to be surprised and find out oh right that two gallon container contains less than a quart or something like that. Exactly. And there's food, at least three uh, three a day supply of non-perishable food, the batteries, the flashlights, the first aid kits, the whistle to signal for help, dust mask, uh, towelettes, garbage ca- bags, um, wrenches and pliers, a can opener for food folks, you know, the ones that you don't plug in. Right. Uh, maps, I like this one, the maps for Orange, L.A. and San Diego counties. Mm-hmm. And cell right. phones with chargers. And I really like that uh, crank, crank, hand crankable uh, radio. Now, are th- those um, easily found at most retail outlets? Yes, um, I actually have a fantastic hand crank radio. That tell actually, us about yours. Um, my, mine actually can even power my cell phones, so wow. I can crank it up. It's also solar powered, and I, it's the best tool that I've got. And, and what's it called? So we know how to get something as good as yours. Um, you know, uh, it's an it's a hand crank weather radio, but it also gets AM, FM, and you can Google it. I'm sure there you can find it on many of the um, retail outlets online. I actually bought mine from Radio Shack, but you can find them in many different locations. And, and it's very, very helpful because what you need, you need to know what we will be communicating to our public. And we will do that through the media. So our um, law enforcement, fire officials, we will communicate to our public through the radio stations. And we will work with them to get public information out. 
And so having a radio that does not depend on power um, is very, very important. That feature about recharging your cell phone is very attractive, too. I'm, uh, yes. This is before stocking stuffing. I think we need to get supplied with this sooner than right. that. And so um, I also wanted to, uh, you to talk about that alert.org. Is that something that people subscribe to then? Right. Alert OC is our mass notification system that we will use to call you should there be a major emergency that may require evacuation or perhaps a boil water order. We will use that. I'm sorry, what was the latter one? A boil water order. Oh, boil water. Okay, got you. So um, the landline telephones for our community are entered into that system automatically. But we do not have cell phones or mobile devices or emails entered into that system. Uh, So our Orange County community members need to go into that system and enter that information. Okay, and that is, um, I wonder, for those listeners that just started to tune in, we're talking uh, with Donna Boston, the Orange County Emergency Manager, on here on KUCI.org. Um, KUCI 88.9 FM, KUCI.org. We can stream it live there. Um, and so we go then to the alertoc.org. We log in. We provide our email. We provide our cell phone numbers. And that gets us in the system so that automatically when a disaster is rolling our way, we will get notification. We could get potentially three different notifications. Right, and that's important because our community members, we are all mobile. We we live fast-paced lives. You may not be home when your te- home telephone rings and we're telling you that we're evacuating a certain area. So getting that information on your cell phone is very important. And we know that because we're always leaving our cell phone with people because we know... We want that person to reach you. I wanted you to reach me if you needed to to line up the show at this last minute, and I thank you for that accommodation. That we uh, providing that cell phone gets us that number gets us with the emergency contact that we need, just like we need with any less emergency that we right. think we have. Well, I also wanted to um, find out from you. It's a it's a it's a delicate topic, but it's not delicate in terms of how rattled we all are as we're watching the. The Tokyo Electric emergency diesel generators fail at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Um, What can you tell us we can expect our different protections for our San Onofre nuclear power plant? Well, I think what's important to note is that we have a very aggressive um, planning strategy with regard to the nuclear plant. We engage in... um, emergency planning with all of the jurisdictions that surround the plant. And we also look at um, independent readings um, should should an accident occur at the plant. And um, this is similar to what occurs throughout the nation with nuclear power plants. In California, we have two nuclear power plants. Um, The rest of the nation has many more. Um, There are over 100 nuclear power plants in in the United States. And um, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the Federal Emergency Management Agency have strenuous uh, regulations for what we call off-site response agencies, which the county would be one of them. That's you. Right. And the the cities that that are near the plant would would also make up part of those off-site agencies. So would Camp Pendleton and the county of San Diego and as well as state beaches and parks. We engage with them in an active planning process. 
um, should an incident occur at the plant, we actually will fuse into um, the immediate area and place our county experts on site to be able to verify um, information that the plant is um, is giving us. And by having that independent um, an analysis that provides us with mm. essentially two mm -hmm. modes of communications into the plant, it, it does certainly help our response strategy. Um, and, and we are extremely um, advanced with regard to our nuclear planning. Well, everybody thought that Japan was advanced, and <clears throat> we're finding <clears throat> indications to the contrary. So any, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm sorry, any sort of, um, well, I mean, concrete assurance, I mean, with the, the, out of the hypothetical and into the real, what, what kind of, uh, like in the alert that you sent um, out last uh, Friday it was, what, uh, what did the alert say? Well, um, each jurisdiction, uh, meaning a city or right. a county for the unincorporated county area, has the responsibility to manage and respond to disasters in their boundaries. So each city actually launched their own alert OC message to their city community, and the county launched one for our unincorporated county area. We had already pre-scripted those messages. Okay. Um, what we do is we plug in the pertinent information that is applicable to that immediate situation. So we had already developed a tsunami advisory statement. Yes. We, we knew yes. the text of that message. We plugged in the date and time and the emergency protective measures that the public needed to take. And then each city launched their own message. Well, I know that um, there is much more to say. If you wanted to give a, a, a wrap-up or a direct from the top of the OC management, Emergency Management Agency to our listeners, if there's one more um, bit of information you wanted to convey before we send you to the Orange County Board of Supervisors meeting, meeting at 930. I would just... Um like to make sure that my Orange County community is prepared. So make sure you, that you build your emergency preparedness kit and make sure you have a family disaster plan. Well, thank you for that and for making yourself available today to talk about how we can be uh, aware, stay calm, and um, and the, the extent to which you're planning. And we, we urge you to continue planning and drilling and drilling us and um, uh, in so that we can minimize what our um, brethren over on the other side of the Pacific Rim is catastrophically reeling from. It's, it's just, it's just in, un, it's unimaginable, and that's why all these dress rehearsals, every single institutional strengthening we can be a part of here is, is essential. That's right. Well, Donna Boston, thank you so very much for coming on our show today. Good luck with the meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was very important information. I want to remind listeners, go over one more time the um, information that we talked about. It's the websites for preparing. The website for preparing is readyoc.org. That's uh, the, the front end. And the once there is a, a disaster underway, there is um, the, the important move you make for that disaster is that you will have already, with the alertoc.org, provided your contact information, your home, your landline's already in there, but your cell phone and your um, email address so that uh, you can be notified when you must be. 
The other number, a bit of information, is the Public Information Hotline, area code 714-628-7085. So um, we'll be um, carrying on with uh, some other vital information, but uh, before then we'll get some business taken care of here. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ask a Leader. This is Claudia Shambaugh, your host, and you're listening to 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. We are uh, going now to turn to an important uh, ritual that is celebrated throughout the Persian world and speaking with us about that is my guest, Professor Toraj Dari. Who is uh, who was appointed four years ago as associate director of the Samuel Jordan Center for Persian Studies and Culture, uh, the, the School of Humanities here at UC Irvine, and uh, he is um, his background in ancient and early medieval history of Iran and his interest in Zoroastri- Zoroastrianism uh, uniquely qualifies him uh, for addressing. The ritual that I want to focus on and then expand into the Persian New Year. The Welcome to the show, Toraj Dari. Hello. Thank you very much for the invitation, Claudia. I appreciate it. Thank you. And you, you came in on very short notice because here I thought as white bread I was learning as much as I could about Persian, things Persian. I won't say fully about Persian culture. And I just learned over the weekend that all of my Persian friends have been celebrating the, it is, um, let's see if I can try it, Shabar Shanba Suri. How do I say that? Shahar Shamba Suri. And what is a good translation of that ritual? And we're going to unfold the whole thing, folks. Well, it's a Wednesday night celebration. Let's call it that. It's a Wednesday celebration uh, of fire, uh, which involves uh, a ritual which is kind of interesting, and I think it's really fun. Oh, please tell us all about um, it and where it Tuesday, started and uh, that kind sure. of thing. The Tuesday before the Iranian New Year, which is the spring equinox, which I think maybe we'll get a chance to talk about on please. March 20th, uh, the last Tuesday of the year, that is before we hit March 20th, uh, Iranians, and I think all those people around actually in Asia that celebrate Nowruz and the Middle East, uh, will go uh, and create a bonfire and actually jump over the bonfire. And there is a little, you know, mantra or a saying that is said while jumping over the fire, yes. uh, which basically says, uh, my yellowness, which is uh, regarded as sort of being weak and ill uh, to you, and you, 
they tell the fire, your redness, your heat, your health, to me. In a sense, by jumping over the fire, they're getting rid of their ailments and sort of the, uh, you know, weakness, and they're hoping that fire gives them strength and the power uh, for the coming year. And that is what is done, you know, in Iran, in now Republic of Azerbaijan, and all the surrounding countries. But, of course, they're doing it now in the U.S., especially California. Especially here. I, we can talk about those venues. Cause I, I know one particular friend with whom I was consulting about, you know, what I get to talk about today. And she didn't want her particular neighborhood, um, Masi, I'm talking about you. Uh, she did not want her particular neighborhood, um, this the particular venue disclosed for fear of it being overrun by larger crowds than they can even handle. So what we're so it's been going on all this time, and I had no idea until Sunday. So I, I just couldn't keep that uh, pearl of wisdom to myself. So I'm so glad that you're here to talk about that. Well, it, when did it all begin? It's, it's a Zoroastrian ritual, is it? Uh, it goes back probably yes to the pre-Islamic times, uh, and you know we don't have an exact date, but. Uh, simply the idea that there's fire there, and fire certainly is important and central in Zoroastrianism as a pure element, uh, you know, uh, which is totally good, uh, probably goes back to this Zoroastrian heritage. And how and far back is that? And, you know, probably it goes back to 3,000 years ago. Wow. Or it could be as old as 3,000 years ago. And even with the coming of Islam and, you know, people with different religions within Iran take part in the celebration because it's become somewhat secularized. It's become much more of a national holiday for everyone else. So if you're Jewish Iranian, Christian Iranian, Muslim Iranian, and Zoroastrian, you, you, you know, partake in the, and the, if you're Baha'i or if you're, you know, um, of other religious persuasion, you still partake in this ritual. Well, it's, it's amazing. Um, and the sort of the, I see that there's a connection then with um, other cultures doing something. There's the whole, um, the Mardi Gras kind of uh, spirited celebration, all of these things that are dealing with the the, the uh, vernal equinox. I mean, there's no there's no um, uh, it's, there's no accident that all of these things are happening at this Absolutely. time of the year. Absolutely. I mean, you touched upon something I think very interesting is that some of the uh, other traditions of this Charshambi Suri is that people actually dressed up or incognito, they went to people's home and knocked on the door, something like a Halloween, like a you know festival of. Uh, as such, and they would get some food and whatnot. So there was actually other rituals involved, and some were done until maybe 50, 60 years ago, and some people still do that. And uh, the whole thing is in regards to this coming of New Year, which is almost like an All Souls Day. That is, people, yes. you know, we'll talk about it, people are waiting for the spirit of the departed to come back. So actually very much drives with what you're talking about. And I think Purim also, uh, in uh, leading up to Passover, uh-huh. Uh, it, I mean, it's interesting how persistent the and how similar each of these uh, these rituals are over all the cultures. Yes, yes, I agree with you. And I guess that's where the the Jordan Center is um, really well positioned around here to um, to keep that whole dialogue, that whole literacy project, well, I'm going to call it, uh, going on. Sure. No, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm very happy that we do have a Center for Persian Studies at UC Irvine. Dr. Nassim Rahimiye is the director, and I sort of help out as the associate director. 
And one of our, I think, missions is not only to educate, you know, in the academic setting, but also be a hub for, you know, contacts in regards to Iranian culture and heritage. So I'm happy to be here with you today. I want to let those listeners who've just tuned in, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. And we are speaking in the second half of our show to Professor Toraj Daryi, who is the Associate Director for the Jordan Center for Persian Studies here at UC Irvine. And we're talking about the ritual of Shabar Shana Shanba Suri. Now, and so um, I, there are many locations, I guess, sort of the way that the Irvine, the city of Irvine's Mesa Park, Mason Park, has become very institutionalized for that, the gathering for the Nauru's, um, the end of the whole New Year's celebration. I guess that similarly, the Corona Del Mar Beach has become the ritual, uh, jumping over the fire ritual. Exactly. I mean, there you have. I think uh, you've been get, they've been given permission to to have these bonfires I see. because because of the fire hazard in other places. So I think it's been now over probably two decades that people gather there uh, at night, which is tonight, and they the jump over the fire. They mm-hmm. bring some soup. There's some music. Uh, it's quite a festive occasion. Uh, and, you know, it's done all the time, and there's a huge number of people there. And there's smaller ones, and I I wanted to say that um, when my friend from Long Island, New York, was talking about that, I asked her, what do you do when the weather is so inclement? She said, well, I I make do. I I clear it away, a, a patch out in her garden area, and and she's able to get some fire, you know, going, and it happens every year. So it's it's amazing how it's how it's done. Oh. And so are there, is there a favorite place, uh, Professor Tor, uh, Daryi, uh, that you like to go to? You know, I have gone to Corona del Mar, especially when I have uh, guests and friends coming from either overseas, from Iran even. Which is typical, you have states. them for Nowruz? Uh This is for the Charsh Ambassador, the uh, jumping over the fire. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, it's really a sight to see. I don't go all the time. You know, if you want to follow tradition, you could make it just a little, uh, you know, fire and just jump over it, and that should be fine. But <laughs> there it's too much more see and be seen and, you know, greet friends. You actually see the people that you haven't maybe seen the entire year. As part of the Nowruz uh, celebration, New Year celebration, you're supposed to go see people's home and greet them. Well, you get to see them actually there. Uh, if you haven't seen them the entire year. So that is also very interesting. So let's say we white bread are curious about this and want to uh, see what it's all about. Are we going to feel like we're crashing a party or is this... Not at all. They would actually very much like to see everyone there because it's festive. It's actually pretty dark and everybody's just dancing or playing music. And, you know, kids and others are jumping over the fire. So it's a big party. There are probably, you know, several thousand people there. And so it's a quite a mix. And remember, you know, a lot of Iranians, of course, are Iranian-Americans. Uh, you know, there are marriages that are between Iranian-Americans and, you know, Americans and whatnot. So you'll see all sorts of people there. Wow. Well, I um, I wanted to get to um, one of my friends. I've consulted a number of them because I wanted to realize just how much a part of the Persian culture this is that I had been so unaware of that she said that in Iran now, the current regime has tried very uh, diligently to remove this ritual 
from the public experience. Um, is that true? Well, I think there are three views on this. Uh, I think when the revolution took place, there was a backlash and this idea of sort of Islamization, that everything should be according to Islamic tradition. And Nowruz really didn't jive with it in the sort of strict sense. Mm -hmm. So actually, there was push by the government. But I think traditions have persisted for so long in Iran, especially this Nowruz celebration. And people held to it steadfast. So I think that that made it clear that, you know, no rule or law will really make this the case. Uh, then there's this issue of Charshambasuri, the fire. Yes. That, again, a couple of years ago, again, they were trying to very much crack down on this. But, you know, it just took, uh, you know, its own life and actually became sometimes an anti-government affair as well. So that created, I think, uh, some issues as well. But we should also remember, in terms of safety, I'm not justifying, you know, what the government is doing, but certainly Trashambasuri, as I've seen it, sometimes become very dangerous in Europe. People are just not lighting bonfire, but they're throwing, you know, gas tanks in there, which really injures people. So I think oh what gosh. they're trying to do, perhaps in the name of safety, they're trying to curtail it, as well as Trashambasuri. Nowruz is another affair. Uh, I mean, uh, this year, uh, Ahmadinejad, who is the current president of Iran, is actually planning to celebrate the Nowruz at Persopolis, the ceremonial capital of the Achaemenid Empire. Ah. So you can see how things can turn around and things can be used. Sometimes you try to fight it and you see it's not really the best idea, so you co-opt it. So uh, that is what they're planning to do this year. Although I'm sure there, uh, you know, religious leaders within Iran that are saying, "Well, this is not very Islamic," although it's been a tradition for you know three thousand years, and people have continued to do it regardless of religious pressure. Yeah, three thousand years is a real hard to, uh, ritual to break, <laughs> even exactly. if you're an, uh, a despotic regime. Exactly. Well, um, so that you were talking about the the hazards of this ritual. Um, things got out of control uh, with what your uh, your lighting and that kind of thing so you're you're jumping over some coals is that what it's no, no 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 coals you can actually make a bonfire so a little bit of shrubs actually that's the traditional okay. way of doing that and you light it up and you jump over it coals not at all and, and i think rarely coals, coal is never used uh, as such, it has to be actually a bonfire that makes the fire a little bit higher. Higher, <laughs> and but you go through it. You, oh, uh, you really do? Yes. Okay, because that that was a, the subject of conversation last night with friends that we were uh, that we wanted to understand what that meant, and they they I had to say no, you're not walking on coals, you're not walking, but I, but there is this whole blaze that people are managing to jump right over. Exactly. You go through the blaze so you catch some of that fire. Not that you should, you know, catch fire, but that redness, as that mantra is told. Wow. Uh, so you, you know, it, it somehow touches you or becomes at least close to you. So you get that health and for the coming year from the fire. Is the uh, Jordan Persian uh, Study Center, is there anything around the uh, Shabar Shamba Suri happening? Uh, you know, not really, because we were smack in the middle of UC Irvine, and you can imagine if we had anything in terms of lighting a fire, what that would do to, uh, you know, to the police department at UCI and the, uh, you know, fire station. There's no place to burn. No, no oh. place to do that. 
Although that's a great idea. Maybe we should actually think of having this as part of our uh, teaching, uh, you know, sort of cultural teaching to have something done. But well, that, uh, I think, take, needs a process. It needs a process. Well, we can take uh, – this is a very sophisticated uh, new institution that can build – a smaller institution on uh, this, and maybe there's part of the Aldrich Circle, part of the Ring Road, or somewhere that's yes. uh, you know set up for this, so that because I think there there would be, I think that would catch on, and I don't like to use that metaphor too extensively, but um, I sure. I think that would be a marvelous thing, and like you said, it has a sort of a see and be seen, um, convivial, congregating quality to it, so that we can you. Know, People can get a lot out of this. I'm, I'm really, and I, I have lots going on tonight. But uh, yeah. including, we're all going to, our, all our staff at KUCI are meeting. Then, I, actually, let's remind listeners that um, we're listening to Professor Toraj Daryi, who is the associate director for the Jordan Center for Persian Studies at UCI on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine, um, and uh, streaming live on KUCI.org. Well. Um, so I guess that was that's a little takeaway message to our guests that we would like to see whether some kind of a, a jumping over the fire ritual could be initiated at some point. That would uh, be wonderful. Now, I really like that idea now, for UCI. It might, and it might work because it's usually when finals are almost finished. <laughs> yes. So before people go running off to their spring break locations, they could jump over some fire first. Exactly. Before jumping into fire later. Or maybe uh, before this, before they take their exam, so they get some warmth and energy to take their exam all right. and all the negativity out, or afterwards, exactly. Okay, so it could perform a number of services around the ritual known as winter quarterfinals. Okay. Exactly. Well, very good. Um, and I Now, the important other bit of information, there's lots of important things to say, but the, the actual Nauru's will begin for the L.A. area, I understand, at 421 on March 20th. Exactly. And what is the basis for setting that exact time? Well, it's the beginning of spring equinox. So actually it has some, uh, you know, it deals with uh, looking into the stars and knowing actually about uh, exactly when the earth is turning and, you know, when uh, the new year begins, uh, the spring, you know, equinox. And it's based on that that everywhere else the celebration is done. Uh, so in Iran, it would be probably in the city of Fars or in Tehran would be exactly 11 and a half hours or 12 hours later or earlier, actually. Uh, so that is how the celebration is done. Of course, throughout history, there has been actually some jumps here and there, but the spring is actually the most important one, and that's when mostly uh, the Nowruz or the uh, Iranian or the Persian New Year has been celebrated. And you can all of you you can literally look up on um, the web a website of any you're choosing, and that you'll see posted all the times that it's celebrated around the world at, exactly. at the precise moment. So, what does a Persian unit that is a, a household or you know or Persians in it, in the other settings? What happens at that moment? Sure, at that moment you're sitting around a table which is called a haft-seen table in general. Haft-seen? Uh, haft-seen. Uh, it's a table with uh, plates and things that has seven things on it that yes. start with the letter S and some other goodies. 
And actually people uh, start kissing each other's cheek and greet the new year. Usually there's a tradition of gift giving. The elders give gifts to the younger ones, which is, of course, my favorite. Yes. Although I'm getting old. And, you know, uh, then uh, from that day people start coming visiting you. That is, you have to go, of course, visit the elders of your family and the people you know. So there's a lot of house visiting and a lot of sweets and tea being, you know, given to people and, of course, presents. Uh, but before that, there's, of course, that half-scene table that is very important. But probably about two, or, uh, two weeks before that, it begins to be set down on the table, on a small table or sometimes a larger one in your house. And would you like to tell us about each of those dishes? Sure. Um, you know, the general S's, the ones that uh, usually are used are some sprouts, usually wheat, or sometimes I think lentil, that is grown. The traditional family grown this from two, three weeks before on a little plate with some water. But some, nowadays some people buy it, of course. That uh, is placed on the table. Then there is this other sweet pudding uh, of uh, wheat germ. Uh, that is placed, it's called samanu. The uh, wheat or lentil uh, sprouts is called sapze. Then there is a dried fruit called senjed. And then there is sib, which means apple. And then some garlic, which is known in Persian as sir. And then sumac berries, uh. Uh, which is called somak. And then vinegar, uh, meaning it's in Persian is serke. So that gives you the seven S's. And sometimes you could, of course, here and there, you know, uh, substitute other stuff. But you also place some coins in there. You also place a flower uh, there. And goldfish is actually in a pond. And a mirror and an egg or a couple of eggs, colored eggs. So these are the things that are usually on the uh, table. That doesn't mean that everybody puts these. Sometimes people substitute it, but that is usually the norm. They're on the table, but they're not for actually consumption, though. They're there no. to display. And so are there some special foods that... I uh, besides, now, we talked about that soup, though, for the, the running over the fire. Um, so uh, that yeah. soup is very special, too. Well, yeah, they make this thing called ashereshte that you could have, of course, throughout the year. But yes, it's I've delicious. that's being given a lot during the Chashambasuri. For, you know, the Iranian New Year, although this is, I think, more of a uh, 20th century affair, uh, the food that is... Uh, very much liked is called sabzi polomahi. That is, it's fish with rice and sort of vegetables. But of course, we should remember not everybody had access to fish, so that tells us that it's not very old. Uh, mm-hmm. But certainly, by the time that pe- a lot of people had access to, you know, having white fish. Uh, so that is a traditional food. Of course, these uh, things on the table have a symbolic meaning, and I think that goes further back, uh, and that is why they're set. Well, go ahead. You can tell us about this symbolic meeting. You know, I, I think this is connected to this old Zoroastrian tradition uh, where there are, you know, uh, these things called the Amshas Pandas. Uh, these are these um, aspects of the god Ahura Mazda uh, that is responsible for the creation and sustenance of all that is good in this world. That is the sky, water, earth, plant animals, human, and fire. And I think uh, each of these things that, you know, are set on the table, in a way, are mimicking that idea. You know, the sprouts mm-hmm. are, of course, the plant life, mm-hmm. and so on, you know. Uh, and then there are other things that are added to it. So it's sort of a cosmic table. You're placing on your table 
all of the things, this cosmic world with its life, its beauty, its, you know, plant life, its food, its wealth, all of it on your table so you have that and it's continuous through the air. Well, I'm struck by how resonant this must be with the Passover table, with the uh, the various um, representative uh, ingredients. I mean, they, they're dealing with the Jews' exile from from Egypt, but there again is this sort of persistent sort of plate of elements, and those things aren't consumed yeah. either, but there they are to represent, a, a, well, a, a journey, a, a process versus uh, the, like this cosmic representation you're talking about. It's very, it's very interesting how persistent those sorts of elements are in very different contexts. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting, and I should just say on a side note, you know, the Muslims usually put a Qur'an or a holy book. Some people who are more secular place a book of a Persian poet, Ferdowsi or Hafez. I think Jewish Iranians sometimes uh, set a Torah uh, on the table uh, of this half scene. Wow. So, you know, it's interchangeable, regard, you know, depending on your religious persuasion and, you know, what kind of book you want to have. I forgot to mention that, sure. Okay, the book on the table. Are there... Are there particular um, songs or um, other uh, incantations uh, at that table that's You set? know, the, the radio usually, at least in Iran, I remember people listened to radio where there was a prayer given. And then a sort of cannon would go off and sort of announce the New Year. Basically, the prayer would say, please, you know, we ask God that we would have a wonderful, prosperous year. You know, there would be no war. There would be health and so on. It's a very sort of, you know, a general prayer that you would find probably in most traditions, and that would be uh, done so. And people listen to radio rather than reading themselves of something. But, of course, those are who are more religious, in fact, Muslims, they read from the Quran. There's a Quranic prayer that is done in Iran for that. Uh, so, it, again, depends on your family liking. Very, very lovely. And it's and it's a, is it a sort of a family-only kind of a very uh, insular kind of a celebration? I think that for the passing of the New Year, it's usually that. I mean, people do, of course, invite those, you know, uh, other people as well. But in Iran, of course, since everybody wants to stay in their home and have their own immediate family with their own table, here, of course, you could invite other people to join you for the New Year who are not celebrating it, right? Or they're mm-hmm. here alone, their parents aren't here, or, you know, uh, as such. Uh, so it takes, I think, a different life. But in Iran, in, by and large, it's really a family affair, a pr- sort of a nuclear family affair. I see. Well, it's very special. If we're, we're all, I know, with the Mason Park in Irvine uh, celebration, that that sort of opens it up then to a, a larger community, and it it does have all the elements of that New Year. With the there's a bit of a stream, and that stream is a sort of a a, a, a reference to rejuvenation for the new year. Isn't that an important element? Sure, sounds good. That's the 13th day after the coming of the new year, where usually it's thought the number 13 is not a good number and you want to spend it outside of the home. And what you do is you take that sapze, that sprout, that wheat or lentil sprout that you've grown, Ah. and you take that out and usually throw it into a stream that it would take, it sort of goes away. There are people who actually, some younger ladies uh, tie some of these sprouts or grass on the on the field and make a wish. Uh, in the traditional sense, it was for, you know, uh, becoming married. So there are all sorts of things that go on there as well, besides a great picnic and a lot of fun and food. 
Well, uh, would it be out of step to make a political wish? Uh, please do if you want. No, to. no. I mean, I'm. It's. I. I was just wondering if that would be sometimes what could be considered oh, a part um, of this ritual, I or it's, that's not the spirit. No, I haven't. You know, really. It's private. Uh, thought about it as such. It's you know such a more of a cosmic issue. Yes. That you know the coming of the new year and having uh, even more personal problems go away. Yes. Then well, that could certainly you know some people may want to actually make a political wish that you know other problems go away. Absolutely, that could be done. Uh, you know, I just personally have always thought about more immediate issues of like family and a more personal affair. Well, I really thank you very much for coming on, as I said, a very short notice to share with us this very thorough and knowing uh, understanding of these rituals around the Persian New Year. And I I want uh, Daraj uh, yeah. to uh, wish you Nauruz Mubarak and Nauruz Mubarak to all of my friends, my sisters and brothers of Persian uh, background uh, throughout the the world, and um, I really appreciate your being available on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I should just say that UCI students are celebrating the Persian New Year. Oh, please at tell a party, us uh, at UC Irvine. Okay, all the particulars. Uh, the, the Iranian students uh, who are celebrating at UC Irvine Student Center Pacific Ballroom. So it's a Pacific Ballroom, actually, during the New Year, okay. um, from 3 o'clock all the way to 12. So there's food. On which day? And, on the uh, very it's, day? It's on the 20th, I think. Yes. Okay, March on 20th. And yes. my calendar's not in front of me. Can you remind me what day March, tw- March 20th falls on this year? It's Sunday, the March 20th. So Sunday this week at the Pacific Ballroom at the UCI Student Center, yes. from 3 p.m. until midnight, all of us can be a part of this beautiful celebration of the new year. So that, I mean, that's, so after, it's sort of, um, it allows people to be ready. They're staging before the actual 4.21 p.m. moment arrives. Yes, actually, so some of them will celebrate it there probably with their alone graduate students from Iran. And others, this is the Society of Iranian Graduate Students at UCI. Wonderful. But then they'll have, you know, food, then they'll have music, traditional, as well as uh, some dancing music at night. Well, Professor Daryi, thank you so much for uh, making sure we knew about that important way to participate and observe, uh, not in that, or- in that order. We want more to participate and observe. And I thank you so much for coming sure. on Ask a My Leader. My pleasure. Take My good pleasure. care. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a real treat to find out what's going on in this big, wide world here of ours. And I want to thank you all for joining me today on Ask a Leader we are going to be followed by George Hadahat with Senior Senor George Rosales in just a bit. And uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. Have a lovely week. And again, to all of my Persian friends I know and the ones I still don't know, Noruz Mubarak. <laughs>